welcome to another episode of the Gaming Moguls Podcast, the only podcast that comes with three expansions and 18 different maps. I'm your host for tonight, Mark Teske, along with my co-host, Jacob Klopfenstein. Jake, how are you doing tonight? I'm always doing wonderful, my man. Thanks. Um, I do have a question, though, in regards to your joke. Am I the expansions or am I the map? And then by extension, you're the other thing. You're that module that everybody pulls out of the side of the box and goes, well, I'm never going to play with that. Oh, that's what it is. I was thinking I am the expansion and you are the maps. I'm just different territory. Yeah, because you like you like more variety than me, but you don't like learning things. Right. No, I don't know. I guess I don't know. I like maps. I'm going to be maps. I'm going to change back to maps. You can be the say, I, lo- I love learning things because I, yeah, I'm the one that's like throw extra complexity into yeah, it. So I think I'm that. plainly the expansion. Yeah. You're I'm the maps. plainly the maps because I don't like learning things, but yeah, I still want the variety done. We figured it out. Good. <laughs> Boom. Well, Hey, speaking of variety, if you liked what we had last episode, guess what? You're getting more of it. We're into the second half of our top 20 lists for 2020. This time, Jake, we're going to talk about what you think is awesome this year. Absolutely. How funny would it be if we just didn't do my top 20 and just didn't ask any questions, (laughs) just recorded a regular episode and just like didn't bring it up like I'm just over games or something. That'd be hilarious. But no, I'm I'm excited. I'm I'm I did the same thing as you using the pub meeple ranking generator thing, but I did not do my whole collection. And I think next year you can hold me to it. I should do at least down to the fives in my game collection. I'm not going to do the threes or the or the ones or whatever. But I, I could use some granularity towards the bottom half of my collection. There certainly are cases where you look at something and you, you find some surprises where you're like, huh, you know, that I think about it, I do like that game more better than I have it rated. Right. And it'd be at least nice to see all of the games laid out so I can say, oh, gosh, I can't believe that game's all the way down there. It should be up here or something. And it's funny. I actually recognize the opposite problem that after I got done ranking things, I went back and adjusted some of my board game geek scores because I went, huh. Yeah, a game that I have rated at number 126 maybe isn't a 9 out of 10 for me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm in the same boat, too, because BGG scores, you can be critical with them, but you have to also update them often. And usually at least two or three times a year, I will go through and redo my whole list. And this would be just a good exercise for it, you know, to confirm all of them. Yeah, this is perfect timing for it, too. Right after you're forced to kind of think about what games you really like and which games you kind of really are sick of or don't. So. That's what I ended up doing is as I was pulling these through and realizing that there were some games I did like or didn't like as much as I thought I did that I went through and kind of freshened everything up. I wouldn't say I redid my list, but I certainly updated my rankings somewhat. Yeah, I took two out of the top 20. One was just because I don't think I've played it enough, so it might be too, too, too new. And then the other one was just I thought it was play strong. Let's start with what is and isn't on my list, though, before we actually hop into it. I did the same thing as you, Mark, where I had to do session games. However, I did not think that Teach You was a session game when I first did it. It'd be interesting sure. to see if we could like standardize our, our our list. But to me, I don't at least play Teach You enough to have it be a full game night thing. It's more of a very apt filler. Like if there's the right group of four there as a filler game, like me, you, John, and Tyler, we will 100% play Teach You and it'll be amazing. But I'm not always going to play it. So it felt more like a filler for me. So I removed it. But the same rules apply, and much like you, I did every single 18xx game as their own entry and did not lump them together this time. So this is just as it is. So, Jake, we can expect when we look through your top 20 list that we're going to see 23 18xx games, right? Absolutely. You know me. I have a certain way of uh, trains. No, actually, to be candid, I was surprised that there was that few of them actually in my top 20. There's a decent amount. I mean, there's a lot. But... 
I think that kind of goes to show that I think a lot of them are great. I don't think a lot of them are amazing. Yeah. Like, I really like them. And there's a bunch in like the 30 to 40 space. Right. I also sort of look at 18xx like it's a bit of a special event thing, like lamb chops, right? Lamb chops are great, but it's not kind of your go-to everyday sort of thing. See, I actually did the opposite of you. I did not, if if I was in a tie, I went the exact opposite way of which would I rather play if I were to copy and paste myself four times to make a full group. Hmm. Well, and what Jake's referring to the fact is that if I had a tie and I couldn't resolve which one I liked more as I was comparing my games, that I would actually pick the one that was more accessible to me, that I was more likely to actually play rather than having it being an idealistic list. Yes, mine is the idealistic list, I believe. Okay. But there's certain games that are just up high because they're accessible and I just like them because you play them a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important that our listeners understand exactly what our point of perspective was as we go through why we rank the games, where we rank them. Will do. All right, let's start this list. And we're going to be better about saying the names of the games more than once throughout <laughs> the entire segment. I didn't want to say the name of the game. I didn't want to ruin that for you when, when I was leading into it. You are a 100% allowed to say the name of the game when we say the number. I don't need to be the person to announce it. Yeah, we'll try to talk for at least 11 minutes on each game before we say what the name of the game is. So that's of course. a real surprise. And you forgot what we even said. Right, for sure. Hey, let's do this one. So... Starting in at number 20, Jake, this is a game that certainly was on your list last year. It was also a game that was on my list, Jake. What is it? Yokohama. So we're big fans of Japanese games, and I think this is our, I might even say, collective favorite um, Japanese game. Boy, it'd be awfully hard to beat. I'd be troubled to think of another Japanese game. Nine tiles, maybe, but that's so situational. But if you think of like just a full weight Japanese game, I think this is the one, right? Yeah, and well, and I'm actually struggling to think of many other full weight well, Japanese hey, games, but <laughs> I'm even saying like all of the Oink's catalog, even let's let's remove the full weight thing. I think this is the one we agree on the most. Yeah, for sure. It's either this nine tiles or the Oink production of modern art, right? Like I said, there's a few other games really in that consideration. I mean, I think you have to look at the games like across the United States or you have to look mm, at uh, true Airship City or some things like that. But Certainly, we've played Yokohama more than all of those games put together. And if one of those had to get kept and not pushed off the island, I think we'd all keep Yokohama. Yeah, wonderful. And one of the things I really like about this game is just how fast it is. It sets up kind of long, but after you're set up and everything's in the right place, you can just tear through the game. I mean, we've played some games in 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. That's not crazy to think. It's just a really good Euro game. Everyone's in everyone else's way as well. That's another thing I really like about it, where... When you're moving to different locations in Yokohama, what you're doing is you're a businessman who's moving around the town to try to westernize, I'm putting this in air quotes, during the time when Japan was opened up to outsiders. So you're trying to trade for different things, trade different products to fill their orders to get the most victory points. You're the most productive Japanese businessman in Yokohama. And what's fun is when you move things around, you're always in everybody's way, but in a way that you're not 100% knowing if you're always getting in someone's way. You may think that, oh, Mark might go here next term, so I'm going to go here. But it's just so fun how interconnected it can be. Even when somebody gets in your way, there's always alternatives, right? You can always usually pivot to the, huh, yeah, I really wanted to go to the bank and get coin. But I also could stand to pick up a couple pieces of copper. So I guess I'll divert and go over that way. I sort of had a realization recently about Yokohama is that the mechanism I'd almost call uh, 2D Mancala. Because, you know, you're sort of picking up stones and dropping them to form a path and then doing the thing that's the end of, at the end of that path, more or less. Yeah. Just in two dimensions and you're not following a strict trail, you know, so it's not where you're just going around the circle. 
you actually can kind of go anywhere you want to. Thus, the 2D Mancala sort of approach. Well, and on top of that, too, it's Mancala, but you can kind of invest in different spots that you may hit sometime later, right? So you may think, oh, I'll get around to going to the tea shop at some point in time. Why don't I put some tokens over there so that when I go there, it's going to be great. But you don't need to do that now. You know, you're working on it. You'll get over there when you need to. Yeah, but there's always the push pull. Do I put down the pieces I need to get somewhere where I got to go right now? Or do I invest for the future and put them someplace else on the map, realizing that it may take a couple of turns to get to that part of the map, in which case those pieces are tied up for that period of time? It's a great push pull. It's it's great. The one thing I find frustrating is it has a personal market board. And sometimes that can be confusing to people who just are used to taking things off their board a la scythe when you're not supposed to or whatever. And you have to say, no, that's like a market board that you get to buy stuff off. You have stuff in your hands. That's my one draw side of this game. But it's a great Euro game. If you haven't tried it, I think it's one of the better ones. Maybe one of my favorite, definitely of the set collection-y, simple Euro games. It is most certainly up there. So that's Yokohama by Hisashi Hayashi and published locally by TMG Games. Yeah, and this is a game, weirdly, I've had a number of requests to teach this online lately. So I think I'm going to be running some Yokohama classes over the next week. Wonderful. You should. It's a good game. It deserves more love. And uh, maybe if someone likes it enough, they can have my other copy. I have two copies right now. So, Jake, I'm not surprised at all that number 19 is on your list because this is a game that I identify super, super closely with you. It seems like every time that I'm off playing something crazy, this is the game you pull out to maybe appeal to the masses is the wrong word. But this is one of your go to games when you have a mixed group of people that all like playing Euros and, uh, you know, are going to have a good experience playing it. Right. So this is Concordia. What I like so much about Concordia is it's kind of my version of the mac and cheese Euro, just like a game that's really accessible. Anybody can really play it kind of teaches itself. You end up explaining just like seven of the cards. And then after you explain each one of the seven cards, you just play. That's it. And you briefly go over scoring. The other Mm -hmm. thing that I think makes this so it is a game I bring a lot on top of it just being so accessible is it has a whole bunch of different maps. So as me as a teacher, I'm not always playing the same map. So it's slightly different for me. I don't always go to like Britannia and do that whole thing or something along those lines. So each one of the maps is tailored to a specific player count. And it has enough variety. It's not Age of Steam different. It's more of a different player count map kind of thing. A little tighter versus a little looser, depending on how many people there are. Right. But they don't have any territories. Right. They don't have like new resources. They might have somewhere that you build your new boats or something like that. Really small little rules in Concordia and the difference in the map. But it's, it's, it's different enough for me where I feel like I'm playing a new game and I'm never really bored of it. So that's, I think, why it stays so high on my list. It's such a lightweight, easy to play Euro game. I do wonder, though, sometimes, you know, there's a number of games like I I would say Yokohama's in this bunch as well, where we both go, yeah, it's super easy to teach. It's super quick. But I think that also stems for the fact that both of us have taught those games so many times that our teach is really, really good. And I think your teach on Concordia is on point where, yeah, legitimately is a five minute teach because you've taught it so many times. I have taught it a lot, especially to people that know how to play Euro games or played a few. You know, I mean, there's enough shared knowledge with the other games they've played. It's just it's so good. I love this game. You feel like you're doing great things every one of your turns too in Concordia, which is fun. You feel like you're always dunking on somebody. And mm-hmm. then there's a slight bit of score hiding in it. So if you're really getting dunked upon, you may not know it until the end, but you're still having a good time <laughs> trying to figure it out, you know? Yeah. And, and amazing artwork on the cover. Oh, absolutely gorgeous. The most drop dead gorgeous cover ever. I hope that nobody knows that we're being sarcastic and actually Google's <laughs> being like, oh, cool. I want to see what this cool art looks like. It's so awful. And the box is in awful shape too. 
My new pet peeve in gaming is awful shaped boxes, and I don't like to have them because it's hard to bring places, and we usually play games not at our homes when pandemics are not happening. Cordy has such an awful shaped box. Yeah, board game designers, don't try to be different by making distinctions by the shape of your box. That's a bad call. Oh, it's so annoying, unless it's to be a little bit smaller than you think it should, because Concordia box is yes. super long <laughs> and and not that thick, but really like long and wide. And so it's just like this really thin rectangle that doesn't fit in any of my bags really well. Well, it's like they took their box design cues from Parker Brothers. Yeah, it's that style of box. But it's a great game, and I think that speaks to the the to the quality of Concordia that I hate its box and hate bringing it places, but I always bring it everywhere. So there it is. Concordia is number 19 this year, and I see no Delta from last year. Was this not on your list last year? I believe so, which is surprising. I don't know if it, if I just like had slept on it or if I was bored with it. This might have been before I started buying maps for it, because if they have the Delta of zero, that means it was on there last year. So maybe it just wasn't. I only posted my top 20 last year. And before we also get ahead of ourselves, Yokohama, the number 20 game, fell 11 spots from last year. Yeah. And I think you had it probably the same issue with Yokohama. I did where maybe it was overrated the year before. It's a really good game that I really, really like, but it's not top nearly top 10. It's it's later 20s, I think, if you include everything. So your number 18 game, Jake, is one that just barely snuck its way out of my top 20. There's several scenarios where that could be in my top 20. Is this your only Uva Rosenberg game, Jake? I think it is. It is my only um uve rosenberg game uve rosenberg game i'm actually surprised i think all the listeners will be surprised going up to here that there's been three midweight euro games maybe even lightweight euro games up until this point the thing about kink caverna is it's just such an important game to like my history in gaming this was one of the first like heavy medium heavy games that i really played fairly often and i rarely ever play my copy i don't even know the last time i played my coffee but it just holds such a near and dear spot to my heart. And on top of that, I really like the game. So it'd be like, I don't know, buying a really functional thing from a trip that you really want to have memories to. It'd be like buying a beautiful watch on like your honeymoon or something where it's like you really like the watch and you have liked it in any other circumstance. But also on top of the fact that you're wearing this watch that, you're, that your wife got for you on your honeymoon, you really like it. And that's kind of where it is now, where it might be inflated a little bit, but I just really like it. I don't know why. It's just really good. And hey, all of you Team Jakers that think that Jake is going to take the more nuanced, educational, gamery approach to the Caverna versus the Agricola thing, suck it. Yeah, this is it. That's where it is. And there's not even Agricola on this list. This is the only one. Who had Agricola on their top 20, Jake? I did. Yeah, I didn't. I don't. I just haven't played that one enough to feel super confident thinking it's better than other ones. I've only played it two times, so. It's a bummer. <laughs> yeah. And, and Jake, uh, you know, all, all jokes aside, nobody could fault you for including Caverna in your top 20. That's an excellent choice. And like I said, it barely snuck out of mine. This is a very important game in my world as well. Yeah. And it was uh, it fell two spots from last year, though. It was at 16 last year and now it's at 18. Yeah, actually, there's an expansion that was announced this week and I texted it to you about how they're adding orcs to Caverna. So, hey, um, more expansions to Caverna is always a good thing, right? Yes, we have yet to play the other one, though. Um, we bought it for Uncle Kirk, and we think we'll like it. And I read the rules for it and punched it for him and everything. I think it'll add enough asymmetry to be fun, but I don't know if that's really Kirk's thing. It's probably better for him to give it to me, because maybe we'll actually play it if I have it. But Caverna's great. I, I love it. I think it's a good game. It's cutesy. It's fun. I don't know if I think it's better than Agricola, but I certainly like it more. Yeah, and it actually states that the uh, the new expansion is going to be called Frantic Fiends, and it's scheduled for debut in October 2021, and there's a horde of orcs invading your dwelling. 
Ooh, adventuring even more needed. And, which and you can go, fun. yes, and you can go kill orcs in your adventures. I always, I always try to hit, stay away from the orc, um, the adventuring strategy. So it'll be interesting to see if I actually do that or not. Might be important. Well, hey, speaking of people invading your settlements, <laughs> yeah. your number 17 game is chock-a-block full of it. Yes. So my number 17 game is Imperial Settlers by Ignacy Trevichek. I believe it's his second game in the Cards in Three Rows series of three. (laughs) Um, If you want to call it Empires of the North or Empires to the North, whatever. I don't know what it's called. (laughs) That being the same category of game, but right. And 51st State. And 51st State. That's that's V1. Um, We've spoken about this game a lot on this podcast, but I I think it's, it's worthwhile going over it again. What you're doing is your different cultures who are all building different tableaus of cards to get yourself the most victory points. And so you're trying to kind of get this engine going that can power your victory point generation. And every faction's very different. And there's a whole bunch of factions in this game. I think there's like seven now, maybe even eight. Um, I have, I think, most of them. I think I'm sure one. But they all had completely different things for both the new faction you added in and some of the older factions as well. I love the pace of the gameplay. The game really grows and evolves and kind of breathes in front of you. The first couple of turns are really boring. The third one is like feels like you're finally flipping a switch and the fourth and fifth turn are just completely in overdrive where you got to make as much money as you can or you're going to get lapped. I really think we need to play this game more. Because you haven't played it that much, have you? I remember loaning it to you and you being like, wow, I remember why you really like this game. <laughs> Well, no, since then I actually now own a copy. Actually, more correctly, my daughter owns a copy of this. And this is my daughter's go-to game. Like, uh, she and my wife, I bet, have played this 20 times this year. Oh, that's awesome. So they that's kind of their early morning, let's get up and have breakfast and sit in the screen porch game. They'll whip out uh, Imperial Settlers and just sit and play it together. And I think that's great for it because it has a deck building component to it outside of game deck creation, I think is the now term we're supposed to use. Yeah. <laughs> um, where you can like build your deck before before the game and actually play with it. So that'd be great for your daughter and your wife because they won't get bored of it. There's new decks to be made. So I got to riddle me this, Jake. Is there anybody in our set of listeners that has played Wingspan yet has not heard of or played Imperial Settlers? Because that to me seems like a real natural transition right there. Like if you thought Wingspan was really the bomb, just really probably look at Imperial Settlers because I think that's going to stroke a lot of the same things. It's a better tableau builder. I think it's one of the most solid tableau builders, which is what Wingspan is. Imagine in Wingspan, instead of drawing random birds, at the beginning you choose some certain region and all your birds would kind of work together. And you have to be able to make that engine work really well. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. So, you know, just a recommendation to anybody out there that really, really was in love with Wingspan, certainly check out Imperial Settlers, because I think that might be a really good fit for your gaming needs. It's wonderful. Well, now knowing that your wife and your daughter played so much, we're going to I'm gonna have to play this game more. This needs to be added into the rotation. This should be my in case there's two or three players game. We've been blinging it, Jake. We certainly have been blinging out my copy of Imperial Settlers. It's nearly all wood. All the cards are going to be wood. It's going to be everything. Oh, we got the new uh, we got the new geek bits for it. So we're going plastic. Ooh, plastic. Wonderful one. Plastic. Um, and although, Jake, this one did soften a little bit in your viewpoint this year. It most certainly did soften just slightly from last year. It's down five spots. And I put 18xx games in this year and I didn't last year. So that probably explains any fall under five or five. You know? Yeah, I I think that's a perfectly reasonable excuse for why it, it it's functionally a tie with where it was last year as a result. Right. It's just that now when you include new games that were not included last year, they're all going to get bumped down a little bit. Well, let's talk about one of those new in, that are included that did some of the bumping, Jake. 
This is your first entry into the 18xx games at number 16. Which one is your least favorite of your most favorite? My least favorite of my most favorite 18xx games is 18 Chesapeake. Ah, great choice. Yeah, I I don't know what it is about this game because I I took down little notes for everything and I kind of was just describing the game. But I'm going to try to maybe go a little bit more deep on this. It's just nice. Like everything about it is pretty good. There's games that do things better than it, but it's just really solid and really good. I think it's probably one of my favorites. No Chrome full cap game. I have a weird love hate relationship with 1830, so it didn't make my top 20. But I just really like the map. I like the randomness of the B&O private being associated with one of the companies in the game that sets up kind of some weird circumstances in 18 Chesapeake. And I also even like that there's three pars. Like everything, every design decision that I saw in this game, I just like. Yeah, I think you'd call that a well-sorted game if you were talking about, you know, auto modifications. It's well-sorted. Like it all kind of fits together. It runs really smoothly. It's a pleasurable driving experience. I just played this again for the first time with you in in quite a long time. Like it had been at least a year since I'd played this game and I really enjoyed it. (laughs) I loved I loved it. It's just really good. And the other fun thing is it plays differently at different player counts, but it plays well at most of the player counts. Yeah. Like, yeah. At three player, bankruptcy was really common for us when we were playing, which is kind of cool that a game that's supposed to be really beginner friendly when we were playing with pretty three experienced players, it was kind of a bloodbath. But then when you also play four or five player, it can be completely normal. Everybody has two companies and we're all going to have one good company and one kind of bad company. And then if you run five player, Maybe it's who's going to be the people that get the next three companies. So you're going to have to factor that all in. It's just a really good game. I like it. I like how the map develops. I just really enjoy it. 18 Chess Speaks a great game. And even fun at seven players at two in the morning with adult beverages. That's also a very fun way to play this game. <laughs> that was crazy. No, yeah. It, it, I don't know if we'll ever do that again, but we were we were drinking every time somebody <laughs> had to withhold or did a forced train buy because we're evil. And it was fun. It was a good thing. Yeah, that was one of that was one of my favorite 18xx memories where I, I've never heard so much hooping and hollering and just loud shouting in an 18xx game. So fun. Yeah, it's it's great. And I'm so happy that the production's good with it as well, because I really feel like if I were to introduce somebody to this genre of games who's still interested and expressed interest to in me, putting 18 Chesapeake in front of them will just be such a gorgeous presentation that they can just say, hey. I can see why you like this. I'm actually sparking up a online learner game with a couple of my not 18xx internet connected friends. And I think that's actually going to be the game I'm going to use to teach. Rather than 1830 or 1889, I think I'm going to roll 18 Chesapeake. And yeah, that's that's where it sits for me, for me as well. That's my It's my learning game. And I kind of don't really foresee playing 89 because of it. Great choice. Uh, not on the list yet last year. So new entry at number 16, 18 Chesapeake by Scott Peterson and All Aboard Games. All right, number 15. Hey, we kind of got a little mini Minnesota stripe going here. I know, right? The the designer of number 15 also hails from Minneapolis-St. Paul area. Guy by the name of Cole Worley. Jake, what game of his are you talking about? I'm speaking of PAX Premier, the second edition. I'm only going to call it the second edition once. From now on, I'll refer to it as PAX Premier. It's my number 15 game. You are different tribes in... Afghanistan during the Great War, I think the Great Game is what they call it in the game, which is like the 1800s in Afghanistan, where there's a bunch of different powers, both colonial and local, trying to kind of vie for a very important territory that's always been important historically. It's just such a weird love-hate relationship I have with this game. 
It's so fun to play, but I haven't had that perfect experience with this game. I know it can provide that, but it's always been some lacking thing. You know, the card draws are just really weird in this game for whatever reason. Somebody doesn't get it and they hand something stupidly to someone else or vice versa. The only person that can stop someone doesn't understand that they need to stop them or something along those lines. Or I choose the Russians. So everybody chooses the Russian because Jake always makes good decisions in the game. And now because Mark didn't choose the Russians, he's the only person that's going to win. I, I, <laughs> I love the game. I love the card play. I love how once you're used to Pax Pamir, you feel like you can do anything, even though your hands are fully handcuffed. But it's just... If I could copy and paste myself three times, I would play Pax Premier like nearly always because it's, it, I haven't gotten the perfect play yet. You know, there's always some external reason that it wasn't living up to the way I wanted to live up to. Yeah, I can understand with what you're coming from on that one, too. And this is a part of my reticence with that, too, that I don't think this is a game that most of the people that we game with are going to love or it's their type of game. They'll like it and they'll put up with it. But they don't. Love I think it. that's the right way of putting it. They'll put up with it and they'll go, oh, that was interesting. But there's nobody that really has augured into it and is super passionate about it to the point where they'll really play hard. And this might be a game that playing at MogulsCon or something like that, when we've got people in joining us that are super passionate about it and super good gamers and so forth, where we can kind of assemble an all star team, that's probably when that air quotes, ultimate play is going to happen. But then when I play Pax Premier and I haven't played it since the last convention, I'm going to be the one that's holding back the game for them. You know, like it's just, <laughs> it's like, I don't know when the optimal play will be, but sometime I will get it with Pax Premier and it's going to be amazing because everything else about it, I love. I just love what you can do with it. I just haven't had the one play that I feel like lives up to the game. Well, and I kind of had to do that with Pax Perferiana where I just did, a, I did a half a dozen games in a row on Yukata with uh, Evan Scussel and a few other friends where we just kept running it back, running it back, running it back. And I still feel like I'm a million miles away from being good at it, but I can, I, I can now kind of see the matrix. Gotcha. That's what finally caught it for me, but I need to do that with Pax Premier now probably too. Yeah. Um, count me in if you want to do that. The only downside of the new edition of the Pax Premier 2 is it doesn't include some Looney Bin essay. I want those back. Doesn't include what? An essay, Phil. Oh. <laughs> he always writes <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> weird oh, okay. essays. Well, that's uh, true. That's because this is not a Phil Eklund game. Right. But he used to, I want it. I wish he could publish something on it and we could just all have it. <laughs> you know? I'm, I'm sure it had something to do with about how the great cons now affect global warming or something like that. Yeah. And then now it's not real or something. But anyway, that's a great game. Enough of our <laughs> weird little jokes. <laughs> uh, boy, that was that was so out there, Jake. I didn't get it the first time around, but that's, that's funny. funny. Someone will. This is the first time you've gotten to make this joke because this game also not on your list last year. Yeah, it wasn't. I don't know why. Uh, had, no, I, I bet you I know why. I didn't feel confident in putting it up there because we'd just gotten the game. I think it was still pretty new. Yeah. I played a decent amount, but I hadn't like made up my mind on it. It was so love hate still. So sounds great. That's Pax Premier second edition by Cole Worley published by Worley Gate games at number 15. Uh, your number 14 also a crossover from my list. This is one that also talks about a tribal region. It does. Some might call them clans, not tribes. Yeah. And the region I think is called Caledonia. So I think it's called <laughs> the clans of Caledonia. There it is. Um, we got there. So my number 14 game is Clans of Caledonia by Juma Aljuju. It's all Scottish or it's crap, Jake. Absolutely. No, their Scottish listeners can get mad at her bad accents. Do you know what movie that's from? No. What is oh, it? Oh, the classic Mike Myers, So I Married an Axe Murderer. Oh, I, I, don't, I have not even heard that movie about that movie. You know, like sometimes I've, 
have a list of movies on my phone that I have to watch when I talk to people and I add them to there. And even like the, 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 most of the time, the name ring a bell. That one, I've never heard of that. I know it's a bit hard to nail down the number of movies that Mike Myers didn't play a Scottish person in, but eh, comedy from the 90s. What can you say? What are you going to do? So what is Clans of Caledonia about? You are building in little hexagons with your little hexagon production facilities to try to get the most resources that'll get you the most money. They'll get you the most victory points. That's it, right? Well, that's not quite. There's also (laughs) some there's some area control things and there's some market forces and there's some special rules and there's some rule breakers and there's there's all kinds of other things and there's good there stuff might, there might on. be a decision or two going on as well. well at least one well the reason why i'm kind of yada yaing it is because i think this game kind of is the fastest version it's very similar to terra mystica and gaia project which are both wonderfully illustrious euro games but it's just slightly faster and most of the decisions are done via spending money versus spending three different resources in the case of gaia project so you end up, it's similar enough to those games, but you can tear through a game in an hour. And the teach is much less complicated than it would be for either one of the aforementioned games. And so I think that's why you like it so much. It's just, it's yeah. a little bit more accessible, but kind of scratches the same itch, which is a very good itch, right? I've thought more about it because I've since then heard some people maybe not quite so excited about Clans of Caledonia. I think the reason is it's maybe a better fit for me and the fact that I prefer variety to depth, because if you're going to spend a bunch of time and really focus in on getting good at a single game, you're probably going to get more legs out of Terra Mystica or Gaia Project. But if you're going to only come back to them once in a great while, I think Clans of Caledonia might actually provide the better play experience. Right. And that's that's where you sit. But I think there's space enough for two of these games on a top 20 list. And Clans of Caledonia is one of them. We'll have to see what spoiler alerts. Who knows? <laughs> Who is it? Gaia or Terra Mystica? Which one does Jake like? Who knows? Oh, and Jake, that is so far not your most controversial pick on this list. Well, oh, my gosh. Speaking of controversial, my next one's very <laughs> controversial. See how I teed that up for you? <laughs> also not included on my list last year. Um, we have the one that will probably be the most upsetting for people on this list. All right, te- people who think they're on Team Jake. All right, you sitting down? Listen, here it is. I All think right. 18 New England is my 13th favorite game, and I think it's a great game. <laughs> it's another Scott Peterson design. This one is kind of more in the fashion of 1861-67, where there's all these different little minor companies that you can kind of shove together or grow up and have them become larger 10-share companies instead of the the four-share where you own 50% of them companies. I know a lot of the people in the 18X community do not love this game, but I just, I simply do. I don't know what it is, but I love how stripped down it is. I love that it's a race to control certain locations and merge your two companies together. I like the map play in regards to connecting your companies or cutting other people off. And through the core of all of this is, I think, the best combination of miners and the timing of it is really subtle and really good. And I've played this a whole bunch of times. I've played it a lot online and I played it a lot in person as well. And just it's just good. I just really like it. If I were going to look at 18xx gaming experiences that I've had over the past couple of years, and specifically gaming experiences that I've had with you over the past couple of years, we've really had some great memories with this game. And and honestly, I think we have a very good understanding of it, which I think actually opens up with more plays. Like I can see where somebody might think it's a bit one-dimensional and dull on first play. I mean, I, I can't say it was a blockbuster the first time we played. But the more we played it and realized the timing aspects and how important those are in it, some of our gameplay really got elevated after that point. 
Yeah, I think this is the easiest game to play with a group of 18xx people and all of you get fine. Like, usually I don't like tracking scores between game to game, but I think in 18 New England, it kind of does show that you can get way better at this game with repeat plays. Yeah, oh, definitely. And it's definitely more of a, I want to score nine and have my opponent score seven versus me score six and have them score four. You really want to get as close to optimal as possible and it becomes really efficient then and it becomes more subtle, but I get it. People don't like it. I don't know what it is, but I like a lot of it. I really like making my run all the way northeast, all the way down to New York. It's fun. I think this one plays and feels differently than a lot of other 18xxs. Even the games it's based on, 1861 and 1867, like this game doesn't feel anything like those games. Completely. I I do wonder if people gave it enough of a chance, the, the naysayers have given it enough of a chance to really understand why it is a unique beast. Yeah, I don't know. Probably not. But we'll see. I think 18 New England's a great game. My number 13, and I think my second 18xx so far. I'm behind you on this one. I think it's a great choice at number 13. That's 18 New England by Scott Peterson also and AAG. Are you just sucking up to Scott here, Jake? It's funny. I also have another Minnesota one coming up after this, too. <laughs> like, what is going on? I think like half of my games are <laughs> Scott or uh, or Cole. Yeah, Cole games. Those are my two choices, which is Minnesota only. <laughs> Homers forever. All right. Well, being that we're in kind of the Scott and Cole band right now, what's your number 12, Jake? My number 12 is the cutest, deceptively evil war slash coin game, counterinsurgency game, Root by Cole Worley, published by Leader Games. I really like this game. I didn't think I did for a while because it's, I think, outside of the wheelhouse of most of our group. And I think you are finally starting to realize that it's maybe outside of your group. Because I I consider you to get along with the group in regards to Euros more than I do. Like if it comes to like dudes on a map game or something like that, I know it's going to bounce off Tyler and Kirk and I and you as well. But this to me still is kind of a dudes on a map game. But it made me really realize that maybe I don't need all of these coin games and I can just play Root a bunch. And actually maybe convince people to play with me because it's really cutesy and fun. Yeah, I still like this game a lot. I mean, it fell a lot on my list this year. Just And it's not so much that I don't like it. It's more that I think I just needed a break for it. We played it a bunch this fall and yep. some of those plays didn't go especially smooth. So, you know, I think like your comment with Pax Pamir too, maybe I still haven't had the play, you know, that one where... Right. We're all just down and down for the count. And like Rocky, we're just sort of straggling to our feet and then land that punch that staggers the other guy and he staggers to his feet. And we haven't had that play yet with Root. And I think maybe that's what I'm missing. Yeah, I have had the if you do this and then he does this, then she can't win. But then you have to do this. But then this and it becomes this really fun, like kind of like that scene in Princess Bride where the the poisoning of the wine. Right, right. Where you really (laughs) the game almost fades away and it just becomes like a that game kind of thing. And it was really cool. I really like it. My main issue with this game is the rule book and the fact that I don't all the own all the expansions because I just want to play this game more. I love this game. It's my number 12 pick for that reason. Like, I think we you and I specifically need to play it together, much like we, you and I need to play more Pax Pamir, too, because I think we're of the same mind on this one. And I think you would really enjoy some of the new expansions to it, too. I would love to try them. It's just a matter of time. Indeed. That's number 12, Root by Leader Games and Cole Worley. Great choice at number 12. Yeah, it wasn't included on my list last year, which is, again, kind of surprising. I only did the top 20. It could only pull the numbers from top 20 from last year, but weird. Weird that it wasn't on there. I think last year this one might have been in sort of a uh, 
sort of in a rut, right? It wasn't brand new and we hadn't played it recently yet. The new additions hadn't come out and, and or you didn't have your new version yet. Or So I think it might have sort of been in that uh, sophomore rut. That'll do it. Fantastic. At number 12, Root. Your number 11, Jake. How can I tie this? This one has cute animals too. <laughs> it's just a deck builder. It's just a deck builder full of, uh, full of deck cute builder animals. Full of cute animals. Cute animals that get marched off to become tasty steak. There it is. That's all you're trying to do is lead these cute animals to their demise, but then you somehow have them again. Don't really know how that works, but <laughs> we're speaking about Alexander Fister's magnum opus as my number 11 pick, Great Western Trail. This game is just splendid. It has every every mechanism in it, but they all work together to become this beautiful, absolutely wonderfully made machine that is better than the sum of its parts. You know, because you've seen all these different mechanisms everywhere, but you haven't seen them put together in this way. And somehow it feels familiar yet foreign at the same time and just really good. And I think the reason maybe it feels so foreign to us, Mark, is that we're just absolute trash at this game and never win a Great Western Trail ever. Let's put on our game reviewers hat, Jake, and take a step back and objectively look at the creation that is Great Western Trail. Right. Okay. So you got deck building yep. where you're going through and you're trying to collect a, the, your best hand of cows. You have you know, a rondelle. We're on a rondelle. The entire map is a rondelle. Because as we know, cow herds only consist of unique breeds of cows. Correct. That's all they care about. You have a route that you have to take and avoid different hazards on that one. So not pick up and deliver, but there's some aspects of that, right? It's also a rondelle. If you think about it's it, a, it's a rondelle because you're moving around this course and doing different actions. It's an engine builder. Because you're putting in uh, the different buildings that give you abilities. You have the ability to tailor that depending on which workers you get. Um, there's area control in there. There's efficiency there's engine things in there. There's set like collection. This, this game could be garbage. But yet it, somehow it isn't. Like, how the heck did he get all of those things working together into something that actually makes sense? Right. And then after he first made it, he said, oh, why don't we add more and add an expansion? And then you still have yet to play it. But once you play, you're like, oh, that totally streamlines with the game the whole time. He just did a great job with this game. I think it's great. Um, I like the production of it. I just I just love it. It's just such a good game. This is probably one of my favorite Euro games. I think this is definitely my second favorite Euro game because there's two above this on the list that I don't know if you can categorize them as Euro games. But it's just it's this one, Great Western Trail, is without a doubt a Euro game, and it's amazing. And just looking at the cover, you could call it a Mount Rushmore game because you already have three quarters of a Mount Rushmore right on the cover. You just need one more white dude, and you got it. There it one is. One more white constipated cowboy. There it is. Constipated Cowboys, Great Western Trail. That was his that was his working name for, for, for this title. If you've ever seen the cover of Great Western Trail, you're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Those cowboy beans not doing their job. Not enough. So that's Great Western Trail, my uh, number 11 game. I would have thought this one would have risen, Jake, but is this one just getting pushed down by other games? So we have already announced three or two 18xx games, and I know there's at least four on the list. Um, there's more than four on the list, but... This one only fell four spots, so it, it actually improved if you think about it because of the amount of 18xx games just above this, which is at least four. So it's it's at least the same or slightly better. At minimum, it's a virtual push. Absolutely. That's number 11, Great Western Trail by Alexander Pfister, published by a few different people. So my number 10 is another 18xx games, this time a little bit north of where the Great Western Trail takes place. Oh, I'm hoping you pronounce this one so I don't have to. Oh, we should know this. It's close to us. Like we know how to say like <laughs> stuff in Iowa. We should know how to say stuff in Winnipeg slash uh, Alberta. Um, all right, here we go. My number 10 game is 1882 Asinaboya. That sounds Asinaboya? good. Asinaboya? Asinaboya? Sure. 
It's the region kind of from like west of Winnipeg to like Saskatchewan, kind of that area, that region, which is clearly an area that has not been touched by the train world. And we must make a game for it because there must be trains (laughs) over the entire world. 1882 is kind of claimed to fame as it's an 1830 style full cap game, but with really weird privates, really tight tiles and a really pretty aggressive train rush. Well, and a short playtime, which is always a plus, right? This is a this is a weeknight game. Yeah, and that's the, I think that's coupled with the bankruptcy probability in this, where there's a decent chance that somebody's going to go bankrupt in an hour. So, hey, you can probably even play two games in three hours, where one's going to go full and one's going to go bankrupt. Been there. Yeah, we certainly had. I think we played <laughs> two games of this in three hours before. Or was it yep. three and four, something like that? Like uh, it's two games in four hours, probably. One of our very last gaming nights before COVID hit, too. Yeah, absolutely. But it's it's such a good game. It's a really good map. It's really tight. You have to control where the tiles are, which is a concern that I think most people don't usually have in these games, especially for the yellow lays, the 57 tiles. I like how people can go bankrupt, but you still have to play for an endgame run or getting a valuable run. It's not just making sure that you can get all of the trains and make sure that somebody else doesn't get the trains because maybe they survive that and they end up beating you out because they have such good runs. It's just it's so cool. I know you like this one. This is one of the games that you actually purchased off of the most recently wave, correct? Yeah, I I like this game quite a bit. One of the things I think that is a unique feel about this game versus others, besides, you know, the mechanical things like Crazy Privates and so forth, is unlike many of the other 18xx games, this one does not feel like Industrial Revolution. We're just sort of exploding into, uh, you know, James J. Hill out there building and connecting all the steel mills and stuff like that. This one feels like you're hacking it out of a forest. Yeah, you're totally right. You're out in the middle of of absolute nowhere and you're barely just scraping by trying to make this uh railway happen amidst all the just bad terrain and harsh environment and the game feels like that you know you're not connecting philadelphia to new york city you're connecting medicine hat to moose jaw yeah right and i even looked up some of the cities and i think one of the yellow cities is like a four thousand person town so who knows? It probably was really important back in the history, in the history of Canadian rails, which is what 1882 is based off. But like, it's just completely different. You're totally right. I've never thought of that before. Yeah. And it's just that gives it a, a, a unique flavor to it that you feel like you're a frontier railwayman rather than a captain of industry living on high street someplace. Yeah. The other thing that's really fun about this game, too, in regards to 1882 is, uh, you don't always want all the privates. And I feel like that's different for how much you can pillage in the other games. It just asks a different question of you that you like maybe don't want to buy it because who knows if you can actually pillage in time and who knows if it's even worth it if you can. Well, yeah, this is a game that is especially punishing for overextending. Like if you overextend at all, if somebody takes advantage of that fact, guess what? You just lost (laughs) and you lose suddenly. Right. And it goads you into overextending because that's the whole game, right? Yeah. Not full up to the point of a game like 1822, where you legitimately want to save your money, but you definitely don't want to get too far over your ski tips in this game. Absolutely. So that's 1882 Asinaboya. Mark Voyer designed. Published by AAG Games. I'm, I'm going to say Asinaboya. It's, it's like a region that is no longer referred to that way because it's like a traditional First Nation group up there. I do have to ashamedly admit that I thought this was a fantasy setting when it was first put out. I'm like, this is not a real place. <laughs> you're even closer to that when you grew up. You're from you're from <laughs> South Dakota. Nope. South Minnesota. Straight south of Minneapolis. But yeah, we're close to there. We should definitely know it. It's close to us. All right. Number nine. 
Speaking of games that are not close to us, the next one is not even on the same continent. It's like the other side of the world. Or century. Or century or time or anything. You know, this game is set a long time ago in a distant land. Star Wars Destiny. No, I'm kidding. My number (laughs) nine choice is Glory to Rome. The day Star Wars Destiny makes your top 20. God, that'd be so funny. Isn't it a dead game now? Aren't they done with it? FFG burns through games so quickly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Great investment. Yes, absolutely. So my number nine is Glory to Rome. It grew six spots from last year and is now my number nine favorite game. Glory to Rome, you're different patricians trying to build the region after it's been plundered, right? That's kind of the theme to it. But what you're doing is you're actually putting together these broken card combinations to make the most crazy combinations of powers that you can possibly do. And then whoever does that the best will end up winning. It has the amazing thing in card games that a lot of Carl Chaddock games have where you get to follow someone else. So you have to always be paying attention to what people can do because if I can give Mark more cards before it's his turn, that's going to really change his turn. So maybe I don't do the card that he can get more cards because I don't want him to have more cards. You know, there's there's just so many little considerations like that present in this game that makes you just really, really enjoy the play. Add to that, uh, I love the endgame mechanic, too, of the, hmm, I can't actually check at how many marbles I have stowed away, which because what you have stowed away and you put into your vault is worth an awful lot of points at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. And I have no way of checking that after the fact. So I kind of got to remember out what I put in there and also pay attention to what other people are putting in there. So I can try to stay ahead and get those critical extra three points, which I mean, that's like a complete building build. And right. All of those things, man, you have to you have to get your engine running. You have to defend against other people. You have to hurt other people. You have to stow away materials and ah, a super interactive game that actually is funny because of all the crazy things that happen in it. Agreed. And I finally rectified this. I have my own copy coming in, which would be great because it's, I think, one of the only games in my top 20 that I didn't own my own copy of. And uh, when you get that in, Jake, let me know so I can print you up a 3D marble bust of Caesar that you can use as your first player marker. So that is my number nine pick up six spots from last year. Glory to Rome. One of my favorite, favorite card games. Awesome choice. Jake, your number eight and your number seven. Not to lump these two together, but. It's a bit like my uh, number what four and five or whatever, where I had the the brass games sitting right next to each other. I, I feel like these games are next to each other for a reason. It's weird because I didn't think one of these would actually be where it is. So let's first start off with the lower of the two. It is Race for the Galaxy in spot number eight, up five spots from last year. I'm actually super surprised that Race for the Galaxy is up this high. I love Tom Lehman. I think he designs games amazingly well. But I haven't been playing this game too much, but I obviously hold it in such high revere because I played it so much in the past. I just haven't been playing it so much recently. What you're doing is you're different like spacefaring empires who are trying to build the best tableau of powers that you can then use doing action selection to get the most points. I play the app a lot and I play against two opponents on hard mode. I find that's my or expert, whatever the highest tier thing is. And I, I actually did it on my entire flight. Most recently, we went out to rural Arizona last weekend. Um, What did your, your wife think about that? How mad I was at my little phone. <laughs> she didn't but, She didn't quite like it. I sat the whole time with my little headphones on, and I just focused on doing this game because I wanted to see how good I was at it still. And I will be happy to tell you that my win rate was like just at 50%. I was super happy with it, which pretty good. The the, the UI and the or the AI on this game is just brutal online. Yeah, the few times that I've played it online, too, I just got absolutely clobbered. So that's a good win rate. I'm very proud of myself. So there it is. That's Race for the Galaxy. 
um, my number eight game up five spots from last year. I got to remember that app because kind of jonesing for like I've been sort of looking at my collection going, hmm, which of these would be good single player? Maybe I should fire up one of these games and try playing them one player just for that. And race is so God, good. It seems like race a lot of work. is so good. It's so good. It's so weird because it really ends up being the race. You really have to make sure that maybe having a game end now matters more than you getting the most points you can in two turns because your opponent's going to get more points than you the next two turns versus just the in the second term. Yeah, I need to remember to just pull that up and play it on my iPad when I'm kind of jonesing to just play something by myself. I don't know why I never think of that one. It's so good. It's such a good app. I'm a huge fan of both Race for the Galaxy and the app, and it's a sweet game. We'll have to play it sometime when we're actually in person, but I wonder if I'll get all mad because I could have played like four games in the five minutes it would have taken us to uh, play the game. (laughs) Yeah, and this is one I've still never played in person. Oh, hmm. We'll have to do that. So therefore we do. Yeah. Our good friend of the moguls, Steven, ended up sorting my box of cards for me. So we know exactly what expansions <laughs> to play with because I bought too many of them at once and it overwhelmed me. There you go. <laughs> so my next one shares three of the same four words. Roll for the Galaxy is in my number seven game, which is down three spots from last year. It absolutely makes sense that Roll for the Galaxy is slightly above Race for the Galaxy. I do like Roll for the Galaxy more than Race. And I'll tell you why. It's noisy. It's noisy. I need the noise. Without the shaking of dice, I don't like any <laughs> games. No, I, I, I like the economy in this game more than I like the economy in Race for the Galaxy. Okay. What you end up doing is you kind of build more dice and there's more dice that are kind of just added on into your economy in a way that I think is more fun. Like, so for example, if I have a chance to build a building and I just want to get the most points because I have those people to build or whatever, and it comes with the dice, I'm not mainly buying that card to get the dice, but it's really cool that's coming along. And maybe that dice is going to contribute this little dice worker. It's going to make my next building my next. And it's just fun to see it kind of snowball more than I think it does in race for the galaxy and versus. Sure. I really like the combos in this game. I really like searching for stuff. I like all the different strategies that are present in it. The only thing that upsets me about this game is the expansion. There's been a new huge big box expansion and we haven't bought it. And I don't know if I want to scary i don't know why i'm so scared of this new expansion (laughs) it's supposed to include three modules and they're supposed to be really cool but i'm just like so apprehensive to buy it so if you're a listener let me know if you like it yeah and i believe the feedback on it has been generally good i haven't played it either yet and i have played roll a number of times don't know but uh, i i am somewhat shocked that you don't own that i know it's it's expensive it was like 80 bucks i think you can get it used now for like 50 bucks but i just don't know if i need it i don't know it's just I've been really torn up and I also don't know if it's going to fit in the original box and you know how I am about that. So, right. Well, and, and to that point, how often are you playing role for the galaxy these days? Not often, but I do play it more than you think because most of the people in my family know how to play it and play it well. Oh, sure. So if there ever is like a family cabin event, I bring role for the galaxy a lot because it's both fast and deep. So Tyler and I can play it three or four times in like an hour and a half and get a lot of bang for our game buck in both weight and gameplay and game and, you know. Yeah, too often when I play this, somebody has to get the full rules explanation, which takes the entire length of the game. Yep. 45 minutes longer than it should. And then by the time we're done playing it, it's like, okay, we're good. Let's play something else. <laughs> that was it. Let's move on to something else. Yeah, it's, it's not a good filler game unless everybody knows how to play it. And then it's like the best filler game. I think that is right on target there. If everybody knows it, it's an amazing filler game. If everybody doesn't know it, it's a uh, cornerstone game. Absolutely. That is Roll for the Galaxy, a Tom Lehman masterpiece, along with Wei Wah Wang. Absolutely wonderful game. If you haven't played it, try it. It's awesome. 
Fantastic. And uh, we're going to call that one again a virtual push with last year. And that, um, you know, you're at number seven down three spots, but there are at least three new entries above that. There certainly is. So from this point on, we have all trains except for one. (laughs) And uh, you could argue that that one maybe even is trains in space. You most certainly could. It's just not financial. So sure. My number six choice, I was actually kind of nervous about including this because I have not played this game that much, at least when I made this list. But with 18xx.games and a wonderful group, I have played my number six choice, 1817, a whole bunch, which has been so fun. Like this game, I remember playing it in person when I finally got my copy and being so happy because I finally had this gorgeous production of a game that's so amazing and designed so perfectly well. But I was sad because I didn't know if I'd get a chance to play this game to its fullest and really unfold it all and get to know what's going on in this game. But I will have you know that through online plays, I think I played this game like three times in the last two weeks. No, four. We're working on our fifth game now. Two of the games went full. A couple we called early because of whatever reason. But oh, it's so good, Mark. I can't wait for you to play this game. You're going to think it's so cool. So cool. I will legit give this a whirl. I tend not to like, like I'm afraid of heavy financial things because it's at not the end financial of the day, though. It's uh, not, it's, 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 it's like almost its own. It's not financial in the way of like other games. The issue is you can't, I would almost even say that it's a run good companies game because if you're clearly the weakest in the pack and maybe because I haven't played this much, my amateur niche of this game will, will really show in this point. But if you're the guy who's clearly the weakest gazelle of the bunch, you're going to be taken down by the, by the lions and everyone's going to short your companies. So it's almost like posturing to look like a good company. So it's really a run good companies game, because if you're going to be the guy who's running a bad company, everyone's going to short you. So it's one of those that you want to look like you got good trains and money in the bank, even if you kind of know right out you don't really have a plan to get. (laughs) Yeah, like (laughs) who who knows? You just got to make sure you you put on a good face. So it's been really fun to Hmm. learn about it. I've came in distant last in the game that we played. I won one that we called early because I got off to a really good lead. It's just it's such a cool game, Mark. And it's I'm so grateful and thankful that Toby and his team at 18xx.games have made such a robust system so we can get to play these games in a level that just does them really justice quite a feat too because that strikes me as a game that would be hmm, more difficult to implement in an online scenario but apparently not yeah they just they're the smartest they figured it out it's an absolute beast of a game do not pick up this game if you're relatively new at 18xx because it is a long and b expensive and b just c really big it's a lot of game there's a lot of components in it. Buy two other games before you buy this one. Get some more variety. Well, there's just a lot of companies in the game, right? That's a lot of the reason there's so much there. There's a lot of tiles as well. There's also a lot of, uh, there's just a lot of stuff. There's a lot of tokens. Every company has like a small deck of cards just because there's so many shares. It's wild. Well, great choice. 1817, number six. Uh, I haven't played this one. I, I really probably need to, but I think this is one that, well, actually, maybe I do need to play it online so that when I play it in person, I can have a good experience. Um, I would not advise you playing it online. Okay, well, there you go. There's a lot of auctions <laughs> and you don't know what you're doing, if they matter or not. So I'd probably stay away from it. And the with the hand waving of the rules, I think you're going to be a little confused more than helped. But I'll, this is absolutely very high on our to play when we get back into real life thing. Okay, so well, there you go. Uh, number five, Jake, I have played recently with you and loved Yay. it. And I lost by a lot, right? You did. I was, uh, I was the, I was the bridesmaid like usual. Well, I jinxed myself. I've had this idea that the next game on our, our list here 
my number five game is not that brutal of a train rush, but that's usually what's brought up whenever people bring up this game. Like usually it's accompanied by saying, oh, what's this game about? They say, oh, it's got the craziest train rush in the game. And I'm like, for the last while, I haven't perceived that to be the case. Are we playing it wrong, Jake? No, this time we played it. It was very, very train rushing. I don't know what was different. I think we got through the twos more slowly. So more people had more money or something. I don't know why, but oh my gosh, this game, this game was great. I'm talking of 18 Mexico, which is my number five game. Yeah, this is one that uh, I see Scott reopened the wave two orders for all all aboard games. And 18 Mex is one of those. And uh, is it still open, Jake? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he closed Mm. them down now, but it's so good. It's just this is like my favorite level of Chrome on a game. Like if you were to say, well, what level of like pure, simple that versus like flashy Chrome? 18 Max is the perfect one. It's got a big national with some cool rules to it. It's got some weird privates. It's got some like weird train rules, but not too much. And all of it works so well together. And when we're talking about Chrome, we're talking about explicit new kind of blingy rules that are abnormal for an 18xx game that are specific to this. And there are some weird new levers that you can pull that are specific to that game. I know some people call them MacGuffins, MacGuffins, but that's not really the same thing, right? I mean, Chrome and MacGuffins, MacGuffins are kind of the central theme of the game, whereas Chrome are additional levers that you can pull. Is that a better way of putting it? Yeah, I'd say so. And kind of just weirdness, things that define this game. And so Mex just has a lot of the, the Chrome on it is good. And I just like it. I will have to take it back, though. At least the most recent play we played, that trainer rush is brutal. Absolutely brutal. I usually just avoid the fours. Maybe that was my issue this time because I actually had to buy a four and it never ran. And I had to force buy a 4D and it just completely took me out of the game. I might have been responsible for that. You might have. I, I, I think I just didn't also. I'm not as good at 18xx.games as I was as playing this on B18, but it's just such a cool game. I'm, I'm excited that you're going to buy it. That could be fun. It is one of the ones I would put on the can fill out a lot of like it can be in a lot of people's collection because it's just such a good game. Yeah, and it's a it's a smaller again. I'd call it a weeknight game, which is also a plus for it. Mm-hmm. Great choice. Uh, Eighteen Mex coming in at number five, new to the list this year. Most certainly is number four on your list is one that came out surprisingly high on my list as well. And I'm not surprised at all that this is in your top five, Jake. Because oftentimes, if we're trying to figure out which train game to play, this is one of your first ones. Hey, should we play forty <laughs> six? I'll go. Okay, fine. I need a beating. It's been a while. Let's do it. 1846, the race for the Midwest, Jake, coming in at your number four. Yeah, I mean, it's another Thomas Lehman classic game. This one's set in the region kind of from it's all the train games are set in from like Western Pennsylvania to Chicago, kind of down to St. Louis area. It's just so good. It's just I describe this game as a masterwork, usually as a joke when I describe it to other games. But in regards to this game, it's, it is a masterwork. I feel like the more I play this game, the more I understand his design decisions and why he did them that way. And it's just so good. I, I, I love this game. It's very similar with 18xx.games that I'm so thankful for it that I've been able to play so much through the pandemic. But it's just so good, so tight, so concise. That first opening OR, you just have to spend all of your brain as you can to try to make the best plan to see how you're going to see where everything's going to go. And then once you decide it, you act on it. And sometimes you win, sometimes you don't. It's so cool. The one thing I'm also really excited is I've heard some musings about like a mini expansion that's going to come in 1833 NE, his other design that's going to be published by GMT Games in a couple of years whenever they get get around to that. Yeah, I heard it's going to make either CNO or the Erie not suck. I think it's going to make Erie not suck. 
No, it might make C and O. I might make both of them not suck. I think it's C and O. Because there's one that seems to be explicitly a late game company, which is Erie, I think. Because it can cut yes. through into at the New York Central, into their kind of revenue center. But yeah, it's just such a cool game. It scales really well for different player counts. Everybody in my family likes it. Everybody in my train game group likes it. It's just, it's a game that is always gold for me. It's an amazing game. I think there's a natural that Thomas Lehman should do there. He should put this, retheme this in space and, you know, 1846, the race for the galaxy. Yeah, right. There's race the, <laughs> for the role, the 20 something. It wouldn't be interesting. I mean, it would be fun for him to cash in on his uh, space life and also combine with an 18xx game. I would absolutely be first in line to buy that game. Yeah, I, it seems like a natural to me. I mean, I, I never really quite realized how he was sort of stuck on that, you know, race for the, you know, mantra in his gaming, gaming naming. It really is a race game that this is one of those. And I think this is one of the things I kind of get scared about playing with you guys because, man, you guys play fast on this game. Holy cow. Where it's, it, you know, by turn two, you're not setting up anymore. People are already setting up for their end games a lot of times. When oh, I play done. you guys in 1846 that, man, yeah, you're, the, you're already built across to Chicago in the first two rounds and <laughs> people are yes. running for huge amounts. If you're not finished with your into the into the brown trains by like sr3 is that it or maybe one earlier you're not playing well you know you just got to tear through move yeah. those trains or else the twos are too good the couple of things that uh, i have really been trying to work on to better effect and that i find really interesting about this game are the share issuance rules with this about how important it really is to start issuing shares to make sure you have continuing funding throughout the game and to play aggressively, even though that means issuing a bunch of shares. Right. But you don't want to issue too much. If you're going to spend too much, it's just, it's hard. Right. And that's one of the, I think the really interesting levers with 1846. And that leads to kind of two of the best plays in the game. Like one of my favorite things in 1846 is the double jump and half pay thing. I love that. Love double jumping and half paying. That's my favorite thing to do in the game. Second only to triple jump. It's the best. You, you have to shout it out every time or else Eric will get mad at you. <laughs> Triple jump is when you pay over 3x what your stock price is. You get to jump your stock up three notches on the board. And uh, yeah, you, 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 you yell over- triple jump and do a victory lap. So you remember when I said you're going to like 1862? Yes. Guess what that is, is featured triple in jumps? that game? No. One better mark. Oh, half pay and double jump? No, no, no. no. Quad jumps, Mark. Oh. Quad <laughs> jumps you know what it's like to go from a stock share price of like 50 all the way up to 100 oh it's 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 the best feeling in the (laughs) world man there's literally nothing better than that that's beautiful we're currently playing a variant of 1846 right now 18 los angeles online and uh that's the essentially the 1846 rules put together in a very tight very city rich environment in los angeles and Ah, it's really cool. I'm really enjoying it so far. Yeah, my only concern with it is some of the privates seem really, really, really good. I mean, I don't want a meta to divide that is just right. It's so good. I agree. I'm really enjoying playing it. I'm actually kind of good at it. My 1846 skills have transferred over and I'm doing okay. I thought I was doing well and then I started a new company in an ill-advised fashion. Yeah, that'll do it. But whoops. Oh, well, 1846. It's a great game. We're so happy that it exists. and. I love it. It's it's one of the jewels of my uh, collection. That's for sure. Designed by Thomas Lehman, published by GMT Games. Probably one of the most available 18xx games out there. But used to be. It's currently in between printings, so it's mm. going for a lot if you're buying it new. But yes, there's a lot of these games that exist, and some even if you dig really hard, you can find some Deep Thought Games copies, which is really cool. The original one. 
but do not make the mistake. This is not an intro game. No, 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 no. I don't know why it was paraded as that. <laughs> I think just I think it was literally just the cost and the accessibility. Yeah. And it, I guess you have draft. You, you can't lose the game in the draft, maybe. But yeah, I don't know. It seems like a lot of the decisions in this game are front loaded, which are not a good thing. I think bad for a beginner. In, game. Yeah. Beginner mm-hmm. games, especially when you're not issuing. And so the game just stalls and all the twos last way too long. Anyway, great choice at number four. Your number three game, Jake. I guess I am not surprised that this reached up that high. Not a train game for once. What (laughs) is it, Jake? Um, This is Gaia Project. It's my favorite Euro game. It was number three last year, and it's number three this year. I love the tightness. I mean, it's just, it's such a good game. You you don't think it's tight when you first sit down on it and everybody's far away from each other. Then towards the end, you're just yelling at each other for taking each other's spots. Because you need to make your federations, (laughs) and if you don't make your federations, you're going to lose, and... Why does Kirk personally hate me for placing a piece in that spot? You know, I love how smart this game can also make you feel in Gaia Project. You just like are kind of looking down and all you have is his resources. And how are you going to make it into this big spacefaring conglomerate? And you end up doing it and you just feel like a smart, smart person. And you can just hyper extract out all of the juice out of this fruit that you possibly can take on. The other thing that I also like about it is you are very much aware if you're not doing as well as the other people at juice extracting in points terms. And you can just feel so far behind and it's so frustrating not knowing what you can do to try to make it better. But and that would be my experience. I love this game. I love how mean it is. I I love all the different factions in it. It's a really cool game. I somehow missed the train on this one. I think it's just probably because I didn't own it. Right. You know, sometimes there are games you just put less mind share towards because you don't personally own it. And I think that might be the problem with Gaia Project because, you know, the times I played it, I thought, oh, it's a good game. And wow, everybody else is much better than me. Never really got farther than that. I, I think it's worth the endeavor, though, but it's so cool. It's such a good Euro game. It's got that flavor of Terra Mystica, but in space, which I, which I very much prefer. And the tightness, and we just played it a bunch, and our entire group really likes playing it. So we played it a lot. I'm hoping that by owning a copy of Terra Mystica and deep trying to make a point of deep diving a little more into it in the future that I, that will also kindle my interest in playing Gaia Project more. I'm excited for you to own that too, because Terra Mystica has been the game in Kirk's collection that is never brought out yeah. much to our chagrin. That's actually the reason we bought him Gaia Project, me and Tyler for Christmas, because we said, oh, we know he's going to like this game and it's very similar to, Gaia, um, to Terra Mystica and we want to play more Terra Mystica. So let's buy him a new game. And it worked out. He ended up bringing a bunch and now the rest is history. And uh, that is who I got to play it with the first time, too, was Gaia Project. Also, a new one on the list, Jake. Not not on your list last no, year? No, it was, it was, it was, it was a was zero. How was possible? No, it was, it was a no delta. It was three last year, and it's three this oh, year as well. Oh, right, 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 right. Okay, yep, there you go. You know how you feel about Gaia Project, don't you? It's absolutely even, which is interesting because the two spots above it were not present last year. So I had my number one and my number two dropped down. But yeah, ones took it over. Number two, surprise. Number one, not a surprise at all. But let's talk about those. So I have played number two. I thought it not enough because I really enjoyed it. I would love to play it more. I am surprised you like it as much as you do. Like, it's like it's a great game. I'm just surprised it comes out to be as high as it does. Right. This is my favorite 18xx game. And I think if you were to think of me, what my favorite 18xx games would be, it would not be this game. And I, I honestly know I'm surprised as well. but. Thinking back on it, there's very little I don't like about this game, and there's there's a lot of stuff about it that are pretty exclusive to this game that I really enjoy. The only thing I really don't like is the map, which is fine. It's a good map. It's just not as 
I like it when there's a lot of money in certain places and the runs are really different depending on where you are with the same train. Sure. I can see that. My number two game, my number one, 18XX, is 1832, The South. This game has systems. It's a big part of the, <sighs> I believe. Systems are fun. <laughs> I believe some of the like design inspiration for 1828, but I like how they work in this game a little bit better. It makes a little bit more sense to my simple brain. Let's back everybody up half a notch here. Can you explain systems for a quick second? So in 18 New England, you shoved together two small companies to form a 10-share company, a regular, big, regular, normal, publicly traded company. But in systems games, you can shove two 10-share companies together in the same way that you'd shove two minor companies together to form a 20-share system, which is really cool. And it offers you some benefits. For one, all their tokens get consolidated. For two, you can have them be trainless. So what that means is if the train limit is two per company you actually have two different companies in that company or in the system so if you have two trains in that you can have both of your trains be in one shell and the other shell is completely empty so you can make it forced by trains which is a really cool part of the end game and it kind of makes it so the end game isn't as boring where it's just about getting trains it's about getting trains and also getting this big system company at the same time so you can buy more trains and get more routes and make more and more money yeah i think functionally the hallmark of a system game is that you have Entities that both operate in concert and independently from each other, depending on what suits you better. Yes, exactly. And it, like there are parts of it that allow them to each chunk of it to operate independently and do things that they're good at doing independently. Yet when you need to operate the whole big uh, transformer, it all works together, too. And you can take all the benefits of that. Yeah, it's it's so cool. It's like having your cake and eating it, too. I didn't think it'd be my number one game, my number one 18xx game, but it makes sense. I love it. I've played the absolute crap out of this game online. I still don't have my copy in person. Um, hopefully someday I'll get it. But it's just so good. I love so much about this game. I, and I feel like there's so many corners to explore as well. So one of the things I think that's interesting about 1832 is the uh, the historicalness, historicity, historicity of it. And the story it tells with that, because it does really talk about how the railroads grew up in that period of time and about how some of these towns in there became big, giant mega cities, and other ones just kind of became not towns. And one of the neat things you can do is it's kind of got like the bullseye cities where you can go through and decide, you know, do I want this to be a dit that only counts 10, which I might do hostily to disrupt Jake's run, or do I want it to be a full up town? that can uh, invest extra turns to grow it up into a big town so that it'll pay better over the long term. And I think that's a neat lever to pull. No, yeah, I completely agree. And then also it has other implications because it maybe means you can get a foothold near a very high paying out city. My only complaint with the map is Atlanta should be worth way more. That's my real only complaint. Like, sure. Atlanta sure. is the only reason it exists is because of railroads. Little side note of trains. I went to Atlanta for a wedding last Christmas time and my wife and I were looking for coffee shops because we're coffee snobs and we ended up going in one. Didn't know this, but it was also at a historical museum and they had a train engine there. And so they had a whole little segment while we were drinking our nice, really fancy hipster coffee from Brash Coffee River down in uh, Atlanta. And they ended up having like this locomotive there and they explained a lot of the history and regarding the railroads. And they said, I don't know how true this is, that the only reason Atlanta exists is because it's the confluence of a couple of different railroads. Like there's no nothing else geographically there. Like <laughs> Minneapolis exists yeah, because we point. have the river, right? Right. And what does Atlanta have? The river, sure. Right. And so it's just, it's, it's neat to hear how important railroad history is for them. Mm-hmm. 
but not have it. It's only like an 80 at the end of the game. And it's just not enough. Make it huge. Make it like 120. So everybody has to run there because that's really what it was. Yeah, excellent point. And Jake, I think you're uh, showing your former tendencies here by I talking guess. about that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry <laughs> to fail you. One final note on 32. The Florida thing is the coolest thing in the world. There's one company that doubles a certain run to Miami from Orlando or from Jacksonville. And that should be present in way more games. It's so cool. Yeah, where it sort of enforces an actual historical event by incentivizing it in the game. And it's also neat because it kind of is a private power attached to major companies, which I feel like is somewhat uncommon in these games. You know, they'll maybe have a reserved token spot or something like that, but give some cool doubling runs. Those are fun. Oh, my friend, you need to play 1890 because that's all about companies all with it is. wacky powers. Right. <laughs> Excellent choice. 1832, The South, coming in at number two, brand new to your list this year. It certainly is. My number one, I think we foreshadowed it last year. Up 16 points from last year. Yeah, and I remember last year we said, this game, we really like it. We haven't played that much, but I bet you it's going to be near the top of our list next year. Hey, my foresight was right. Age of Steam is my number one game. Uh, Jake, are you going to be going to Age of Steam Con next year? Well, there's not a pandemic, maybe. See, <laughs> I don't know. I think what I love about Age of Steam is the exploration in it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if the exploration is going to be as fun as I'm just getting drowned by everybody else being so much better than me at the game. Sure. Like this game is so great and it's a it's a really not that hard of a game, but it's super interactive and really mean as in that you're not always going to do really well in the game. But there's all of these hundreds, there's not hundreds, there's probably like dozens of maps out there all based around the same game. And at Age of SteamCon, they play a whole bunch of different maps, which feels like different games, but it's really the same experience, just slightly tweaked for that. But it's, it's just wild how different it can be. But those slight tweaks can really pervert how the game actually plays out. So those things that you think you know about, like how to bid and how to grow stuff out in the Rust Belt map suddenly go flying out the window with a couple of rules tweaks in there. Yeah, absolutely. And it just completely offers a lot of different feel and variety out of like no rules teach. So we love this game. And for those of us that have heard us talk for oh, 37 minutes so far about train games and so forth and think, oh, bloody hell, another train game. This one is one that I don't know is specifically there's any there's nothing about the game that specifically ties it to being a train. You know, it doesn't have the train DNA quite as much as 18XX does. No, this is a little more. It's a little more abstract. It's a little Euro ear. Um, it's a so it, it's functionally a train game where you're trying to deliver cubes around a map and you're trying to have an auction to get special powers in there and to lay track first. But I honestly think this is a system that could be adapted to many other things without too much change. Agreed. Yeah, it's I, I don't think if this wasn't published by a train game publisher, it could have been a lot of different things. But with it being train themed, please and train and in, in, in parentheses here um, themed, it makes it so there's a lot of different expansion maps, which I still just love the plain Rust Belt map. Don't get me wrong. I think this game would be absolutely my top 20. With that, I just don't think it'd be number one without all of these variety of different different games and maps in the system. Like, I think you could rootify this game, right? And make it all about, you know, cute anthropo anthropological insects. Um, you know, we're just cute little insects that are like, you know, trying to march little leaf chunks back to their nest and, you know, get in each other's way and lay out scent trails and stuff like that. I think you could flip that theme on this one and still have the same game experience yet, maybe make it a little more attractive to non-trained gamers. Yeah. And I think that Eagle Griffin did a great job making the game pretty, but it's still trains, right? 
And that's only going to go so far. Especially when you use little choo-choo meeples. Well, especially. That's why I use the discs, because then people don't know it's Transmark. See, you're the foamer. I'm not. That's really the rules. <laughs> if I got a fancy piece, I'm going to use the fancy piece. There it is. All right. Plain so that's simple. My, that's my number one. Probably the most unsurprising pick of this entire list. Looking forward on this list. Like me, I think your list uh, solidified this year, and I think we're going to see much less motion next year. Like, it wouldn't shock me in the darn least if Age of Steam was number one next year. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Age of Steam, something, 18xx, Gaia Project around that order for the next while. Yeah, that's not saying something amazing else couldn't come in, that it's like, holy cow, that game's amazing, that has to go up there too, but... If you look at the games that are inhabiting your top 10, a lot of these are lifestyle and system games that what's going to unseat that short of another really good big system game. Absolutely. So before we wrap it up, let's talk about a handful of my biggest fallers this year. Yeah. So what what took the nosedive this year, Jake? One publisher did. Guess who I had no games of. They usually associate with me with loving this publisher. Um, okay. Uh, I'm not seeing anything by Oink. Well, I removed all filler games. So that that's not surprising. It's a European uh, company, specifically from Holland. Ooh. 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 There are no splatters in your top 20, Jake. You not got to- even one. And there was a whole bunch last year. I mean, Indonesia fell 25 spots. The Great Zimbabwe fell 14. Antiquity fell 24. I don't know what it is. I mean, maybe it's could be some group think thing and i think there maybe could be a case that bus should be up higher maybe it could have been in the top 20 but i don't know all these games just fell so much i i don't know what it is that's really funny because i i had an overall wave of splatters going up on my list yep mine all went down i mean they're still good spots you know they're they're 30s 40s ish so my prediction and my feeling on probably what happens is this is something that got punished by access like in the case of Great Zimbabwe, right? I mean, that kind of got slapped around pretty hard in our group, right? There were some people that loved it and lots that did not, myself included. Right. And so, you know, that's a little demotivating to pull it out and play it when you're like, well, I really like this game, but most don't. That doesn't really inspire you to go, oh, I can't wait to play this again. Right. And as far as the other ones, I mean, Jake, when's the last time you played Antiquity? Well, and beyond that, when's the last time we played Indonesia? I mean, we loved last that week. game. I don't even think we played that. Last week. Oh, last for you. You played it last week. I haven't, <laughs> I played touched, it last that. Week. I haven't touched that game in months. Probably <laughs> even awesome. years. I can't even and tell I you the last time I played it. Because I remember we played online when we were getting into async, but yes. it's not the same as like good async trains. I don't really want to spend my time on that compared to spending time on async trains. No, and we didn't play it on Tabletop Simulator. We played it on, I don't remember which site. It's one of the, you know, Boite Joux, I think is where we played yeah. it or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And it was... It was a uh, it wasn't the greatest experience ever. So I get you there. And I, I will say I played it recently on Tabletop Simulator and it was hot trash. So <laughs> what I, I'm excited to play on Wadashu again after that experience. Following that, maybe we can play in person sometime. The other one that fell a lot was the Estates, which just haven't played it a bit. And it's I've played it a lot. I think I'm kind of over that game. I don't know why. I think we played with my family a lot and I just played it a little too much. I'm going to let let it sit on the back burner for a bit. Also, Crokinole fell, but that's just because I don't really consider it a game. I probably should have removed it because it doesn't fill my category. It's more of a time waster kind of thing versus like a board game. Well, next year, once you get your Glidey Boy in place, your new one with the... Well, not not next year. I'm getting it tomorrow. Oh, there you go. Yeah. 
So Very next cool. time we record and have a not list-based thing, we'll get to hear all about your new Glidey Boy board. There it is. Yeah, there's a local guy who <laughs> sells them, who made them locally. The guy I'm buying it from is not the guy who made them, but he's one of his customers and really excited. It looks really nice and looks really cheap compared to the other ones because I think the guy just wants to keep it local and doesn't want to ship it. So I'm excited. Oh, that's fun. I can't wait to actually, because you've never gotten to play my board either. I'm excited to compare and contrast. I have played Glidey boards because I played your manufacturer's boards at PAX Unplugged a bunch. So I I know the difference. I I know how different they can really play. It's definitely a different game. So I'm excited for you to know the joy that is a slippery crokinole board because man, I remember having to really put a little extra mustard in the pain that caused in your fingernail to get a good shot in yours. Mm-hmm. Especially if you want to clear a couple, you just got to really wind in. So there it is. <laughs> that was my list. Top 20. For sure. Let us know if you like mine or Mark's more, if you're team Jake, team Mark, because this was really fun to make. And I always like talking about these games, but we'll be back to the regular scheduled programming as soon as we can. Well, so looking at it, this was episode number 48, Jake. Next mm-hmm. episode will be fun and awesome and is still unplanned. We'll be episode 49. Do we have to do something special for episode 50 or well, should we just like, actually what we should do is we should really pump it up and make it sound like we're going to do something special and then just forget it. There it is. That sounds like us. Well, wait, dang it. We just said it out loud. Dang it. Well, I think the issue is, so normally we do our year wrap up too. That's going to be worthless this year, right? Like we're not going to do that. <laughs> I so I apologize to the listeners, but we're just, we're not going to be able to do any sort of like 2020 wrap up. I think I've played like one new game. So Fort's going to wing all the results and it's not even that good of a game. Fundamentally, like I don't like the review episodes. I'm just going to say it. I, I, if there's ever somebody that goes, Hey, we're going to look back at our last 50 episodes and pull out our favorite moments. Auto skip. Right. Agreed. So not we'll probably happening. do nothing. Maybe we'll have Craig and the crew on. We'll do it all in haiku. There it is. That should be fun. Our 50th, the big five. Oh man, it's been a fun 50 episodes. It has been. So uh, I figure we got to mark the occasion somehow. So we'll figure out something that's very gaming mogulsy to do that. Sounds great. All right. Well, good night, everybody. I'm Jake. And I'm Mark. Thanks for joining us. Good night, everybody. This has been the Gaming Moguls Podcast, co-hosted by Mark Teske and Jake Klopfenstein. Please find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Feel free to join our Board Game Geek Guild, guild number 3431. Find us on Instagram and Twitter, at Gaming Moguls. Or reach us via email, jake at gamingmoguls.com or mark at gamingmoguls.com. If you like the Gaming Moguls podcast, please tell a friend. Thanks for listening.